Welcome to Awareness, a podcast dedicated to shedding light on unsolved cases of missing persons and homicides. Join us as we delve into the depths of these mysteries, striving to bring answers and closure to the families affected. Each episode will explore the details of a different case, combining factual information, expert analysis, and heartfelt narratives to create an immersive and gripping listening experience. Our mission is to raise awareness about these unresolved cases, to ensure that the voices of the victims are heard, and to encourage the public to come forward with any possible leads or information. Through thought-provoking discussions and in-depth research, we aim to keep these cases alive in the collective consciousness, giving hope to those seeking justice. By sharing these stories, we hope to spark conversations, ignite empathy, and inspire action within our listeners. Together, we can make a difference and help bring closure to these haunting mysteries. Tune into awareness and become part of a movement dedicated to uncovering the truth and honoring the lives of those lost in the shadows. This episode is about the disappearance and murder of Roger Warren, a nine-year-old child from Davenport, Iowa who was last seen walking across the bridge with a stranger who promised him a bike and a trip to a baseball game on August 19, 1979, and was found dead a week later. Police never named the suspect. Please note, the available information on this case is limited. In the small town of Davenport, the community was gripped with worry as the search for nine-year-old Roger Warren failed to yield any results. The police had been tirelessly combing the area since he was reported missing on August 19th. Roger's younger brother, Gary, was only seven years old and provided a critical clue. He recounted that they had been playing in the 1600 block on West River Drive when they encountered a stranger. The stranger enticed Roger with the promise of a 10-speed bike and a trip to a baseball game. They walked together towards a bridge, and at that point, the man instructed the younger boy to return to the area near Farmhouse Foods. Roger, the son of Herbert and Joyce Warren, was described as a 4'8 boy weighing 90 pounds, with brown hair and eyes. He was last seen wearing blue jeans, a yellow mesh shirt emblazoned with Indy 500, and red and white tennis shoes. Based on the information provided, the police believed the bridge in question to be the Crescent Bridge, which spanned the mighty Mississippi River near Division Street and West River Drive. They were uncertain whether the bridge was crossed on foot or if a vehicle had been involved. The suspect was described as a white male in his early 20s, short and skinny, with black hair and brown eyes, wearing blue jeans and a light blue shirt. This description fueled the urgency to locate him and bring Roger home safely. Despite an extensive two-hour search of the area near the bridge, no clues were found. The police were treating Roger's case as a missing persons investigation, but the possibility of foul play loomed over their efforts. Authorities were tirelessly following up on leads and tips to unravel the mystery surrounding his disappearance. Roger's mother, filled with concern, suspected foul play but remained resolute in keeping her spirits up. The support from family, friends, and residents across the Quad Cities poured in, with numerous calls to the police offering information and suggestions. However, despite the community's efforts, none of the leads had yet yielded any breakthroughs. As the search intensified, the community joined forces to find Roger. Among the dedicated individuals involved was 15-year-old Steve Cool, a friend of Roger's 13-year-old brother, Jerry. Steve tirelessly combed through mud along the Mississippi River near the Crescent Bridge, a bridge that the police speculated might be the one involved in Roger's disappearance. He also searched along the riverfront all the way to Credit Island, hoping to find any clue that could lead them to his missing friend. When Roger failed to return home on Sunday night, 
around 25 people gathered in the river area near the bridge, conducting a thorough search. The support from the community was evident, with everyone determined to bring Roger back safely. Mrs. Warren expressed her distress, stating that Roger had never disappeared before and that he would usually call her every couple of hours when he went out. She mentioned that her son was scared of the dark, further heightening her concerns. The Crescent Bridge, crossing the Mississippi River near Division Street and West River Drive, became a focal point of investigation. Although the swing span of the railroad bridge was often open due to river traffic, it could be closed when necessary, with a bridge operator located on the Illinois side of the river having the ability to shut it. In a tragic turn of events, the lifeless body of Roger Warren was recovered on August 26 from the Mississippi River, approximately 150 feet downstream from Wapello Avenue. Davenport firemen made the grim discovery around 1.30 p.m. Roger's mother confirmed his identity, and an autopsy was promptly conducted at St. Luke's Hospital in Davenport on Saturday. However, authorities decided to withhold the cause of death, leaving the community awaiting answers until Monday. The investigation into Roger Warren's case presented numerous challenges for the officers involved, as they grappled with uncertainty over whether he was missing or deceased. Several leads were pursued, but progress was hindered by this lingering question. Davenport Corporal Bob Graff expressed the belief that the boy, known for his friendly nature and frequent visits to the river's edge, was not a runaway. This added to the growing concern surrounding his disappearance. Graff stated, quote, We don't think that boy ended up in the river by happenstance. End quote. Dr. R. M. Perkins, the Scott County Medical Examiner, conducted the autopsy at St. Luke's Hospital. Disturbing details emerged as he revealed that a rope had been wrapped once around the boy's neck. The partially decomposed state of the body made it difficult to determine the exact length of time it had been in the water, but Perkins estimated it to be at least several days. Due to the condition of the body, the medical examiner could not conclusively determine whether Roger had been sexually assaulted. However, Perkins confirmed that no other injuries were found during the three-hour autopsy. The mysterious circumstances surrounding Roger's death deepened, leaving the community with more questions than answers. Detective Captain Charles Borgstadt and his team at the Davenport Police Department were working tirelessly to solve the chilling case of 12-year-old Roger Warren's murder. With the recovery of Roger's body from the Mississippi River, the investigation had taken a grim turn. Every phone call brought a glimmer of hope that it could be the breakthrough they desperately needed. The tips poured in, some about events that took place months ago, making the investigation like trying to revive a cold trail. Borgstad acknowledged the challenge, saying, quote, You've got something so cold that sometimes it's difficult to pick it up and keep it rolling. End quote. Gary, Roger's seven-year-old brother, had provided a crucial piece of information. He mentioned a black-haired, balding man with missing front teeth, who was seen with Roger before his disappearance. The police released a general description of the man, hoping to gather more leads. The response was overwhelming, with hundreds of phone calls flooding in from concerned residents. Borgstadt emphasized that they had to carefully assess each lead, regardless of the person's past record. Quote, we look to see whether the man has a violent nature. But just because some guy has a clean record, we still check him out. This might be his first crime. End quote. The community rallied together, sharing their encounters with suspicious individuals matching the general description.
Parents reported instances where their children had been approached by someone resembling the suspect. Detectives interviewed the children, diligently gathering any available details. However, without concrete information like a license plate, the task of tracking down the elusive man proved to be challenging. Among the leads followed by the police was the reported molestation of an eight-year-old boy on the west side of Davenport. Initially, the boy's father believed the description of the perpetrator matched that of Roger Warren Slayer. However, after thorough questioning, it was revealed that the original description was inaccurate, leading the investigation in a different direction. The phone tips kept pouring in, each one adding to the growing file. Borgstadt and his dedicated team meticulously worked through the leads, starting with the most promising ones. Two detectives and a juvenile officer were assigned full-time to the Warren case, demonstrating the department's commitment to bringing justice to Roger and closure to his grieving family. The Davenport police were determined to bring the perpetrator to justice, but their progress was hindered by the lack of concrete evidence. Captain Charles Borgstadt, the head of the detective division, expressed frustration, stating, quote, The right circumstances are surrounding this suspect, everything is pointing to him, but we don't have any concrete evidence. End quote. Despite their suspicions, they were unable to make an arrest. However, hope glimmered as the police pursued their investigation. It was revealed that the prime suspect had retained a lawyer and refused to undergo a polygraph examination, raising further suspicions. Though Captain Borgstadt and County Attorney William Davis remained tight-lipped about the case, insiders confirmed that the police were on the right trail. Through an informant, the Davenport police received a valuable tip. They were informed that they might find crucial evidence, including Roger's shirt and a piece of the sash cord, at one of the suspect's two properties. This individual, who was married and had children, became the focal point of the investigation. With a warrant in hand, signed by Associate District Judge Donna Petricelli, the police conducted a thorough search of the suspect's properties on August 30th. Their objective extended beyond the shirt and cord, they were also searching for a green fishing tackle box, a blue t-shirt, and brown work boots. Unfortunately, their search yielded nothing, leaving them with more questions than answers. It was known that Roger often frequented fishing spots along the Mississippi River in Davenport, and it was during these visits that he became acquainted with the suspect. Captain Borgstadt said, quote, The boy did favors, like getting bait and soda pop, for a little extra spending money. We know Roger knew our suspect. End quote. As the investigation continued, the Davenport police faced the daunting task of assembling the missing pieces of the puzzle. With their suspicions aimed at the suspect, they tirelessly sought the evidence that would bring justice to young Roger Warren and closure to his grieving family. As the years passed, Roger's case began to grow cold, and nearly 50 years later, investigators have not identified the suspect. Who killed Roger Warren?